0: And I invite you to take your Bible and look over to the book of Ephesians, chapter six. Ephesians, chapter six. And as you're opening to Ephesians, chapter six, I want to ask you to pray for our student ministries tonight. Uh, We have uh, that wonderful time of the year, it's called Russia. And we are expecting, I believe, James and Spencer and the staff think 300 students tonight. And of course, it will be a lot of fun smuggling Bibles and so forth. But the highlight is the opportunity to speak the gospel to 300 students, junior high to high school, and we're very, very excited. We've got a little hum there. What is that? You can hear that hum, can't you? I can hear it. Um, there we go. That's better. Thanks. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, we, we come to that wonderful text we've been looking. Really, the last three weeks, I took a little extra time. We looked at the children's responsibility in the home in six, one through three. And then last week, I took the opportunity to really put some feet to that with the parents' responsibility in the home. The children's responsibility is a twofold command to obey and honor their parents and the Lord, for this is right, and it was attached with a promise. And then last week, we looked at the parents' responsibility to enforce and ensure, if you will, that obedience. And then one final time, and we'll be finished with this, uh, at least this section in the book of Ephesians, we've called it, The Gospel Comes Home. In other words, the gospel that redeemed us in chapters 1 through 3 makes an immense practical difference in the life of the home, and specifically, we come to the exhortation given to father. So just look briefly with me. Let me read it again in 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. And now this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, thank you. We just pause here. We're grateful for the weekend we've had the instruction that went out. Father, thankful that this servant of the Lord, Lance Quinn, can be with us. Bless him, Father, even as he returns back home tomorrow, spend some time with our staff in the morning. But Lord, we turn our attention now to Ephesians and specifically to the fathers. Would you guide us? Would you illuminate our hearts and minds? We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Now, remember... We've said all along that a wife's submission, in chapter 5, a husband's sacrificial love, and even a child's obedience is impossible apart from what? The filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit in chapter 5 and verse 18 is really the control panel that leads us into these respective responsibilities. The Spirit's filling leads in 521 to mutual submission, and the filling of the Spirit and mutual submission lead to joy. It leads to unity in the home. It leads ultimately to the glory of God back in Ephesians 321. So the gospel comes home, and here to the fathers. Now we looked the last couple of weeks at the obedience of a child, the honor of a child to their parents. We said that that obedience was defined to be immediately, joyfully. We said that that obedience is to be without challenge, without delay, and that parents, you have the responsibility to ensure that obedience and ensure that honor. But lest, here's where we come today, lest that authority be abused, Paul continues in chapter 6 in verse 4 with the right exercise of that authority to you who are fathers. So it's addressed specifically to the fathers. We looked at the specific instruction to the children and at least if you're holding an ESV, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, as we read from the ESV, it does say fathers, that word. It's usually a reference to fathers, but sometimes that very word in 6 4, the opening word there, fathers, is used to refer at times both to a father. And a mother. In fact, in Hebrews 11.23, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. And so Hebrews 11.13 translates it there as parents. Here, it comes off in the ESV as fathers. And you might ask, what is it here? I think it's best with the ESV to see it as a reference for fathers. And the reason that I'm going to state that and believe that just as you're reading it, at least in the ESV, is there is a different word for this phrase, parents, that's used in one. Go back to one; you You're right there. When it says, children, obey your parents, that's a different word there, than the word in 6.4, okay? Parents in 6.1 is the Greek word gones, if you will. And in 6.4, it's the word patera. So I think it certainly could apply to father and mother. But I think specifically, Paul is referring to fathers here. In fact, it's best to see it as an exhortation to fathers, but mothers you realize that what I'll say today will apply to you as well. In fact, look over to the right, just a few pages. Look over in the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter three, when it says there in 320, children obey your parents, it's the word patera. It says obey your parents, excuse me, that's the other word in everything, Uh, for this pleases the Lord. And then it says in 321, there's the word fathers. It's the word patera. And it says there in 321, parents do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And so I really believe that as we isolate the text, this is being addressed The Word of God, under the inspiration, the authority of the Apostle Paul as an Apostle, by the Spirit of God, is just as fresh when he wrote it here in this parchment. He is directing this Word to you as a father. And I think that would make sense. In chapter five, the father or the husband is the head of the family. He's the leader of the family. He bears responsibility for the family. And so here he's addressing the father's responsibility with his children. Now, what's fascinating here is he places the father's responsibility in radical contrast to the harsh and even bitter world in the culture of his own day. In fact, there's a commentator, his name is William Barclay, and he really had an insightful analysis of the perilous condition of children in Paul's day. Lance, you referred to this a little bit yesterday. Um, In Paul's day, and so here's the context in which this comes, there was a Roman law, and the Roman law was called Patera Potestis, and it meant the father's power. And it was actually a law that was put into place, and the law allowed a father to have absolute power over every single member of his family. For example, if a father wanted to, he could sell them as slaves. He could actually make his own children work in the fields in chains. He could punish any member of his family as severely as he wanted to, even to the point of inflicting the death penalty. And the father, in Roman law, had that power as long as he lived. That's what that Roman law stated. A father could arrange marriages. I think we would understand that. But he could also force a divorce, When a child was born, this is in their history, the child was placed between the feet of the father. If the father reached down and picked up the child, the child stayed in the home. But if the father walked away, the child was literally thrown away. So understand when we get to this point here, this is a very harsh and bitter and cruel world That these children were being raised in. In fact, a letter dated in 1 BC from a man by the name of Hilarion wrote this to his wife. It says, quote, Hilarion to Elise, his wife, heartiest greetings. Know that we are still in Alexandria. I beseech you to take care of the little child. As soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. If good luck to you, if it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, throw it out. This is in their correspondence of the day. There was another leader by the, in the Roman Empire. His name was Seneca. And here's what he said. He said, quote, we slaughter a fierce ox We strangle a mad dog. We plunge a knife into a sick cow." And then he said, "'And those children who are born weakly and deformed, we drown.'" Harsh. I mean, when children were thrown out by their parents, they would be taken if they were still alive and they would be left in the open form. People would then come by night and collect the boys and make them slaves. They would collect the girls, and they would raise them as prostitutes. So I want you to understand that the parent-child relationship was as barbaric then as it is today. Obviously, this thought of a child, you know, evidently it's okay to kill them. It's okay to abort them. It's okay to have a recognized genocide in our country. And so that's the day in which Paul wrote. See, it makes a, a difference when we know that as the backdrop to what Paul says a father is to do. You say, well, what is he to do? Well, it's here. There's two commands that he gives to the father, okay? One of those commands is stated negatively Do not provoke your children to anger. And then the other command is stated positively, but bring them up, it says, in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So if you're a father here, if you're a single man here, if you're a high school student here, here's what a husband looks like in chapter 5, and here's what a father is to do and even be. Now, obviously, this is the teaching of the Word of God, and so it comes to us with full authority. And so basically, Paul tells a father what not to do negatively, and then he tells a father what to do positively to nurture, to bring up a child in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's just dive into those two commands. The first command is a negative command. It says there, you could see it easily in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And that phrase comes to us, as I stated in the outline, it's an imperative command. This is not an option. It would even give the idea that some were in the process, possibly, of provoking their children. It's a present imperative command And so it could be that Paul's seeking to prevent an action from taking place. And the negative command, as you well know, is to not provoke your children. And so even though the children are to obey and honor their parents, he comes back with the proper leadership here. And he says there's something that a father can't do and should not do, and that's provoke his children. Now, you say, what does that mean, to provoke? It means to irritate. It means to exasperate. It means to discourage that child. The idea is to embitter that child to anger. And so really, it's a play on words, Grace Church of the Valley. It literally would read this way. Do not anger your child to anger. In other words there's a command given to the children to obey and to honor this is right and it's attached with a promise but here he tells us that a father is not to provoke his child to anger because that child can go grow resentful that child according to Colossians 3:21 can become discouraged so here Paul recognizes does he not how sensitive a child really is, okay? Now, the question is, is how do you do that? I mean, I don't think any of you here this morning, as you're in Christ, would want to provoke your child to anger. And I suppose there's much that I could say on this very subject, Lance, you addressed part of it. There's a very popular thing that you could see on Google search by Lou Priolo Uh, He developed in his book, it's a very good book, The Heart of Anger, and in that book he has 25 ways a father can provoke his child. And so you can look at that if you want, but I thought maybe rather than listing 25, let me just cite a few ways that a father can provoke his children. I would even say these are ways that a mother can provoke her children. But number one, let me just bring us back to the context. You can provoke your children by failing to be filled with the Spirit. Just come back to the context. All you have to do is be in the flesh, all you have to do is not walk in the Spirit. He commanded us to be filled with the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit, to let our life come under that control by the Spirit that happens through the Word of God, we said. It happens through the confession of sin. But it's quite frightening to think, listen, rather than you looking for a technique, rather than me just putting out 25 ways you can do that, we can just start right here and say that you as a father have to have your life in check By the Spirit of God. In other words, for a father, and I would even say a mother, they must walk in the Spirit, manifest the fruit of the Spirit, manifest love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Remember when Paul said, against such things, there is no law. You have to yield to the Spirit of God. That is a daily practice where you submit yourself to the Word of God. So listen, if you're looking for a technique, if you're saying, I just don't want to do it, then you need to take this book, you need to read it, you need to let the Lord renew your mind daily so that the Spirit's control is going to mark your life as a father. You say, well, how will I know? Well, there's a couple things I could say at least in the text, look back in Ephesians, it says there, one of the ways you'll know that you're controlled by the Spirit is in 519, you'll address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody uh, to the Lord with your heart. In other words, you'll have a song on your heart. You'll have the psalms on your heart. You'll be praising God for what he's done for you. So before you can be a good father, you have to walk in the Spirit. And when you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to be conversing with one another on psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Your life will be so controlled by the Spirit that the outflow of your parenting comes out of that development. The other thing in 520 is you'll give thanks. All I have to know is this, fathers, when I'm filled with the Spirit, when you're filled with the Spirit, you'll have a life that gives thanks. You won't walk into your house and want everybody to serve you. You won't walk into your house ungrateful for what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. You'll walk into your house so blown over by the power of God and by the Spirit of God that redeemed you in Ephesians chapter 1 that you're going to walk into your home with thankfulness. I mean, I don't know another way to say it. I had to do this with uh, the amount of kids that I had and Lance had. I think I've shared that with you before, after working all week, all day, I knew that when my hand hit the doorknob of my house, I had to put the joy heart on. Not because I'm faking it, but I didn't think my kids should get the crumbs of my day, or get the, the after effects, or me to walk in and thinking, hey, I'm here, you serve me. I opened that door and I just threw my bag down and I started a wrestling match on the living room carpet most days because I was choosing joy. I was giving thanks. I was thankful that God unbelievably gave us seven children that we had the opportunity to raise. Listen, I'm just saying here, listen, we're, we're gonna be a biblical church. Fatherhood is not some secret. Fatherhood comes out of the fatherhood of God who gave us his son, and here in this sense, as we walk by the Spirit, here will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. Look back just a few pages in the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, in chapter 5, you say, well, how do I know if I'm walking by the Spirit? Well, you'll know real quick in 520, there's the deeds of the flesh They're evident, immorality, impurity, sensuality. And in 520, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, it says, and then this one, fits of anger. If you're a father that's not in the spirit, if you're manifesting the deeds of the flesh, you'll know that by a fit of anger. And when you're angry, you're provoking your children to anger. So that's the thought that he's, he's getting at. In fact, you say, well, how do I know if I'm in the Spirit? Verse 22, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Uh, it says patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But if you finish that deed of the flesh in 20, it's fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and division. So listen, number one is you'll provoke your children fathers when you're not... Filled with the Spirit. Secondly, let me say this you'll provoke your children, and you know I'm gonna say this, by reversing the God given role to the husband and wife. So, what do you mean by that? Well, I just taught on that in chapter five, as you know. You wanna affect your children, then husbands walk into your home not as a sacrificial, loving servant. As Christ loves the church, you walk into your home dominating, domineering, demanding, set the tone with your very words. Listen, you'll provoke your child when you aren't one with your wife. And wife, similarly, when you are not submitting to your husband's leadership, trusting your husband's leadership, when there's disunity in the marital harmony of a husband and wife, it will come out on your kids. The greatest thing you can do for your children is to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest thing you can do as a husband is live the way that Christ lived. The greatest thing that a wife can do is recognize that that authority given to her husband as the leader, she is to submit and to trust him and to follow his leadership. Listen, you will provoke your children to no end by just not having harmony in your home. And listen, I know as your pastor, not all of you are married. I, 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 in other words, there's singles here raising parents, and you're doing it as a one-parent home to those children. We pray for you. We want you to feel strength. But if you're married, this is where a home finds its base, if you will, okay? And so there has got to be unity and harmony. You don't want to fix your kids If you have disagreements and disunity and an unforgiving spirit in your home. Listen, we just got to back up, okay? So first, you'll provoke them by failing to be filled with the spirit. Secondly, you'll provoke your children by reversing the God-given roles of a husband and wife. And thirdly, I would say to both parents or fathers specifically, you'll provoke your children by disciplining in anger. There's nothing that's going to provoke a child more than sinful anger of a father. Of a father who might go from passive, letting things go, 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 until you had enough of it, and then you flip from passive to aggressive, and you begin to discipline your children in anger. One of my favorite men who's now dead, is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, when you are disciplining a child, you should have first controlled yourself. What right have you to say to your child that he needs discipline when you need it yourself? It's true, isn't it? We're to never discipline in anger. So one of the ways that a father can provoke his children is to discipline in anger. But not only by disciplining in anger, but children become angry when you discipline them inconsistently, right? Now, I had a, a friend text me last week. He said, the hardest thing about parenting is consistency. And I thought, boy, that's just so true. As I raised seven kids and I was never perfect. And I know for sure that they weren't perfect, right? And, uh, but I just, you've got to be consistent and say what you mean and mean what you say, but you can't let things go one week and the next week they drive you to anger. You've got to dial down. You've got to walk in the spirit. You can't discipline in anger. And a father can't provoke his children to anger with inconsistency. In fact, I I thought this was helpful. One writer said, discipline for individual acts, he says, but not an attack on the child's character. When parents discover their child has told a lie, they sometimes are quick to brand him as a liar. Or if he takes a toy from a friend's house or from the store, he is all of a sudden a thief. Telling one lie or taking one item doesn't make someone a liar or thief, and to brand a child with that label is to attack his character instead of focusing on the act and correcting it. There is a danger of a child beginning to think of himself as a liar or a thief, and if that is what parents tell him, then he becomes that. And this writer said, don't label your children with negative labels when they do something wrong. Label the deed, not the child. It's very easy to begin to discipline in anger, discipline inconsistency, throw words out. And Paul just says, hey, don't provoke your children. There's a fourth here. You provoke your children, fathers, by using words that do not edify. You provoke your children when you use words that do not edify. Go back to chapter 4. It's all right here in the context. I think he's expecting the father to live it out. But in chapter 4, you can see it there in the book of Ephesians. He's going to say there real clearly, be angry. That's a righteous anger in 426. But do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, deal with it, right? And then he says, down in 31, let all bitterness and wrath, and there's our word in 431, and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. In other words, you've got, you can never do that with sinful words. Look down, well, there it is, that, that's enough. The words, words matter. Speaking in anger, you can provoke them. Scolding a child in front of others will provoke them. Constantly criticizing a child rather than encouraging that child with words. If you really want to make or provoke a child to anger, make him feel inferior to everyone else in the family. Don't alienate your children. Don't make them feel inferior to the other brothers or sisters or whatever they're doing. You can't do that. Portray one child as a black sheep of the family. Saddle him with the guilt, if you will, and you will provoke him to anger. You have to be very careful, fathers. I'm just giving a word to you that God addresses you, myself, my own heart, and all of you who are fathers. You can't be in your home provoking them to constant anger by your words, the way that you speak with them, okay? Number five, you provoke your children when you're not walking in a manner worthy of your calling. When, when you're not walking, and again, it's just Ephesians 4, 1, walk in a manner worthy. Listen, I, this all comes back to our own relationship with Christ, doesn't it? Listen, as you wake up in the day, you've been given a wonderful privilege in chapters 1 through 3. You ought to glorify God in 321. He gets to 4-1, as you well know, and he tells us to walk in a manner worthy. But listen, you'll provoke your child when you live a double standard. When you tell them one thing and then you do another, different in your own life. You have got to walk in a manner worthy. And remember, axios, the word worthy, just meant that your life ought to balance the high calling that you've been called, and they ought to match each other with what he's done for you and how you live. But when we fail to live a righteous standard, then it provokes children. Listen, you provoke children, even in this sense, by favoritism, by comparing them to others. You can provoke a child by just freezing them out, by withdrawing from them. All these are ways to do that. You can provoke your ch- children by perfectionism, that rather you were saved by grace, but you don't give your children any grace or you want perfection out of them, either academically or athletically or musically. You have a standard for them and you become harsh and perfectionistic and you want to live your dream through your child, but your child's himself or herself and you have to train up that child in the way that he should go. But all these are ways that you can do that. You can provoke a child, obviously, by being overprotective. We talked about that last week. You can be dictatorial and provoke them. You can be demanding. Listen, I think I would just say fathers here that children are not property. They are a stewardship given to you from God Almighty, and he placed them in your home. And you need to treat them, if in this sense, with honor because that stewardship has been given to you. And when you provoke your children to anger, you have sinned doubly. You have sinned against God, and you have sinned against your child. So listen, Paul just lays this down for us. And in, in fact, here on Walking Worthy, MacArthur said it this way: He said, virtually no environment is unhealthier for the child than anomaly. A nominal Christian family where parents invoke the name of the Lord but neglect to provide the proper loving and uh, nurture and instruction. Many children from such families end up more hostile to the things of the Lord than the kids who have grown up in pagan homes. It's frightening. Christian parents who neglect Ephesians 6.4, he said, will reap what they have sown. He said, pain and heartache, it says, equal to or surpassing that of worldly families, end of quote. Listen, we've got to live our faith out. So children, yes, yes, are to obey and honor their parents, but they are not to be provoked. They are not to be manipulated. They are not to be abused either verbally or obviously you understand physically. So here's what he's telling us. He says, expect obedience out of your children. Expect honor out of them. But don't do it with sinful anger to achieve the desired result. That's, what's, that's what we're not to do. Say, is there something positive that he says? yes. Let me take you to the second command. Look over there. He goes on and he gives a positive command. It's a wonderful command. Look at it in 6.4. Or he says, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. First, I want you to lock on that one line to bring them up. Sometimes the old translation said to nurture them. In other words, a father here specifically is to bring them up. He's not to provoke. He's to nurture. He's literally to feed. In fact, the only other place I think the word is used is just in the previous chapter. Look back in Ephesians chapter 529. Remember, he's telling the husband there that no one ever hated his own flesh. And here's the word, but nourishes. That's the word for bring them up and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So a father, rather than provoking, he's full of the spirit. He's walking in oneness with his wife. He's walking in a manner worthy of the calling. He has children in his home, If God's brought children. And here, he's bringing them up. He's nourishing them. He's cherishing them, if you will. He's feeding them, both physically and even spiritually. In fact, far from this being harsh, there's just a tenderness to this, isn't there? He's so stunned by the amazing grace of God in his life that he's got these stewards, these children placed in his home, and he, rather than demanding, rather than controlling, rather than, you know, you know the Roman law, which was harsh, this man is in his home, and he takes the leadership of his home and is raising his children and feeding them, okay? He's nurturing them. And of course here, you know this, that the central issue for a dad is the child's heart. You're always training the heart. Certainly the externals come in there, but a dad that's nurturing and feeding is not always worried about the outside behavior, Right, He's worried about not the externals. That can lead to hypocrisy. He's concerned with the heart. The heart, as we know, as I said last week, is sinful and is in need of Christ. You say, okay, how do I do that? I want to do that. And he just follows it in two ways. Look again at 6.4. He says, bring them up. And here's the two ways. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. First, he says with discipline, if you will, okay? With discipline. It's the word paideia, and sometimes a translation uses the word training, okay? ESV says discipline, it is the word paideia. It can include training, and here's the thought. A father is training, a father is disciplining his children. He's raising them from a stage of infancy to a place of adulthood and maturity. Obviously, the mother has a huge role in this. But maybe because it's the word of God and the spirit of God, he chose Patera. He's actually saying that a father is the one who's giving that oversight. The father is the one who's the head of the family. The father is the one and should be the one who's responsible for the oversight and the hands-on nature of this training. Now, that word, discipline, is a very broad term given to fathers. The idea here, as I mentioned, is to train to maturity. But often in the New Testament, that word discipline is carried out with a sense of correction. In fact, the word is used in the book of Hebrews. I think this will come up on the screen in Hebrews chapter 12. Watch this. Have you, and and it's speaking here of God's discipline of us. Watch it. And if you've forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. In other words, this is what God the Father does with us nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness with those who have been trained by it. So when you look at Hebrews 12, discipline proves God's love. It proves our sonship. It proves our adoption. And he does that with us. Now, when he uses that word in 6.4, it's broad, as I mentioned, but discipline includes punishment. Discipline for a father includes chastisement. In other words, parents have the stewardship of children in their home, and it does include punishment. Think of these statements. Write them down. Proverbs thirteen twenty four: That he who spares the rod, or his rod, hates his son. It's a strong statement. Listen, not for one minute that I think is your pastor that all of you, I think it was a little shocking to you maybe last week because some of you had a wrong earthly father and so you've pendulum to the other side where he might have disciplined you in anger and so now you have a policy in your home, a philosophy of no discipline. But I just want you to know the scripture says this, and I don't mean it harshly. I'm battling for your mind. I'm battling for your home because I'm battling for your children as your pastor. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. There's our word. In other words, sometimes as a father's raising his children, it's not the only tool. He is using the rod of correction. In fact, Proverbs 22:15 says this that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. In other words, here is a biblical mandate that that word discipline can include and does include the ideal of punishment or chastisement. In fact, you'll remove it far from him or far from her. In other words, you don't want your child to grow up rebellious. And here's one of the methods and tools that the Lord has given us. In fact, it says in Proverbs 23, verse 13, Do not hold back discipline from the child. Don't hold it back. Now, some of you are young mothers, and uh, you don't always see this when they're an infant, but Patty and I used to say, usually by the eighth month or the seventh month, we could see the children fighting their will for our will, fighting what they want, and sometimes it develops later. But it says, don't hold back discipline from the child. Although you beat him with the rod, in other words, discipline him diligently, he will not die and you shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from Sheol. So fathers, listen, this has to be part of your leadership, not provoking not in sinful anger, you're not provoking your child to anger, but you are nurturing them, and you're nurturing them here with discipline, and you're delivering their soul from Sheol. Parents, beloved, who discipline reluctantly for incurring the anger of a spoiled child because you're constantly seeking their approval by avoiding the discipline because you think the discipline might displease them listen you have to lead your home these are biblical principles you must discipline in fact it says this in proverbs 29:15 the rod and reproof give wisdom they give wisdom okay it says but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother? Shame. And so here, are some not in anger, not in harshness, but in appealing to them. But there is chastisement and punishment. It says in Proverbs 29:17: Discipline your son, and he will give you what? Rest. So this is part of the tools of parenting. You say, well, pastor, I've never heard this before. Well, you're hearing it now, okay? Because I love you. Some of you, for honest sake here, you're more acquainted with fantasy football and who's playing today than you might be with some of this. And if that's the case, then I would just commend you to study these things and to lead your home and to lead your wife and so forth. So it's part of that. The father, let me say this, is in control. He's a trainer. He's instructing the child's heart for their good and for God's glory. Now, obviously, after raising seven kids, that's not the only tool there is in discipline. Sometimes you can just withdraw a privilege that's what I would do is they got a little older. So I asked Johnny this week, son, it's kind of funny. Did I ever provoke you to anger? And he said, yeah, you did one time. I'm like, oh, what did I do, Johnny? He said, there was one time I did something and you didn't let me go to the youth group. And so he told me he was angry and we kind of laughed about it, but sure. Sure. It's not that I would want to keep him from the local church or from the youth group, but if he did something in our home, then I wasn't about ready to let him get away with something in our home and not bring some kind of injunction. And so I withdrew the privilege that night for what occurred that day. And so we laughed a little bit. So sometimes you can do that. But there's not just discipline. There's more here. Look at the text. It says to bring them up in the discipline, I love this thought. In the instruction of the Lord. I love that. The instruction of the Lord. The word for instruction is the word nutheteo, okay? We use it for biblical counseling. And nuthateo just literally means, it's a verbal word. And so there's discipline, but there's instruction. It means to put to the mind, In other words, you're, you're placing truth in the mind. You're admonishing a child, and that admonishing is sometimes in the form of encouragement, and sometimes it's in the form of a warning. Sometimes it's in the form of a rebuke, especially as they get older. In other words, the thought here is you're both disciplining and you're instructing verbally by admonishment and by warning, Colossians one twenty-eight, it says, in him, it says, him we proclaim. And you see that little phrase? Warning everyone. That's nuthateo. A father in the life of his kids is ever warning them and guiding them and verbally instructing them. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone that we may present everyone in Christ. This is what Paul did as a leader. He had one goal for the people at Colossae, that they would be conformed to the image of Christ. And a father is to be in the life of a son. See, you have to walk in the Spirit. You have to have a right relationship with home. You have to develop a, a heartbeat, of forgiveness in that home. You need to seek the oneness. You need to seek the oneness with your spouse. You need to learn to apologize. And as you walk in the spirit, here is this verbal instruction, the ideal of encouraging, warning, admonishing. In fact, it says of a leader in the book of Titus, it says, it speaks of a person there who is creating division in the church, who stirs up division, it says after warning him once, and then twice, the Bible says have nothing to do with him. But the ideal of a leader there, of an elder, of a pastor, that man is warning, admonishing, and so is a father. Now listen, that instruction is positive as well. Not only warning of danger or somebody about ready to take the wrong turn, but you're positively teaching your children, and we're right back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you are in the house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. In other words, this word shall be on your heart. So here's what a father is. Here's what a father does. He's not provoking, but he is disciplining, and he is instructing in the word of God. Do you remember that great statement? Certainly you do, that all scripture is God-breathed. I think we've got this one in 2 Timothy 3.16, breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, And there's our word. And for training is the word for instruction. This is what a father is doing. This is what a grandfather can do. This is how we pass truth on. So you're instructing, but there the instruction is tied to the very word of God. But men, if you're not spending time in the word with Christ daily, you'll never be able to talk of them when you walk by the way, when you rise up, when you lie down, because those things won't be on your heart. And so here you're training in righteousness. I mean, I think there's a difference here to train the heart, right? Don't just teach children external, if you will. One writer said self-control. Train them to understand temptation, Train your children to resist sin. Don't just teach them manners. Teach them why pride is sinful, why greed is sinful, lust and selfishness and covetousness. Teach them that that dishonors God, okay? And so you're ever working towards the heart, but you're bringing them up, you're training them, you're discipling them, Look at the last phrase there in 6.4. It says, in the instruction of the Lord. In other words, it's all bound up in him. In fact, here is the ultimate goal of parenting, is that your children come to Christ. That's the ultimate goal. You're an evangelist in your home that they would come to Christ that they would love Christ that they would obey Christ the goal of parenting is redemptive and you have the wonderful privilege to lead them in the way of Christ may God give us godly wise humble spirit-filled fathers who can take the negative command and move it away from them them and take the positive command And to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord.